Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Steward is transforming agriculture by equipping regenerative farms and food systems with the capital they need to grow. As a mission-driven financial partner, Steward works closely with agriculture businesses to scale their operations, improve the health of their lands and waters, and boister farm-to-regional food systems. To date, Steward has provided over $15 million in business loans to fund 75 unique projects backed by more than 1,500 participating lenders. Steward is proud to be a certified B Corp., Seek financing or support a loan campaign at GoSteward.com. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Crystal Stevens, who co-owns Flourish Farmstead and Flourish Folk School with her husband and two children in Godfrey, Illinois. Stevens is an author, folk herbalist, educator, artist, and a regenerative farmer. Stevens has written three books published by New Society Publishers. She speaks at conferences and Mother Earth news fairs across the U.S. She has been teaching a Resilient Living workshop series, as well as herbal education for nearly 15 years. Stevens co-founded Tend and Flourish School of Botanicals. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Share with us a little bit about what got you into the whole regenerative herbal world. Absolutely. So when I was... um... Well, in 2000, my father was diagnosed with in-stage lung cancer. So he was given six months to live uh, from the VA hospital. Uh, He had the odds stacked against him. So he was a Vietnam veteran exposed to Agent Orange and a number number of other chemicals. He was a carpenter who gutted houses and exposed to asbestos. And he also was a chain smoker. So the odds were really against him. Doctors gave him six months to live. Our family had been exposed to many people who had chemo and radiation, and we just saw their spirits and their bodies decline with chemo and radiation. So he didn't want to go that route. So our family uh, tried to find any information we could on alternative healing. Um, He started seeing an acupuncturist um, who did Chinese medicine, and I've flipped through the yellow pages, trying to find any local health food store in a 30 mile radius and got hired on the spot at a juice bar. And so I was able to bring him 24 ounces of fresh pressed juice every day and get him a discount on supplements and organic produce. And with a combination of the medicinal mushrooms that the acupuncturist was uh, giving him and supplements that I was bringing home, the juicing, switching to organics, he was able to live uh, five additional years. And so that kind of just um, set my path, so to speak. I instantly became uh, in love with the, the idea of organic gardening and the idea that organic foods can heal you. And so it's sort of set the course of my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And actually you and I met at uh, the Earth Earth Dance Organic Farm a number of years ago. Yes, we sure did. Yeah, that's uh, very cool what they're doing out there. So, all right, so that was the beginning. And then you started diving into just what was your education aspect of learning about how herbs and all everything works together? Sure. Um, I read a lot of the Rosemary Gladstar books. I went to, or I took the program for the Australasian College of Herbal Studies out of Lake Oswego, Oregon, 
um, and did some distance learning with them. They changed names to, I believe, the American College of Health Sciences, still ACHS, um, and also just a lot of self-study and growing these medicinal herbs. And my husband and I started farming together in 2008. Um, we tr transformed our city yard into a, a, a little farm and sold yeah. at the farmer's markets and just falling in love with the plants and uh, building healthy soils. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then let's talk a little bit about like what your farm looks like now. You do a, a fair amount of things that you do farming, you do the herbals, you do um, your education as well. What does the actual property look like and what does the farming operation look like? Sure. So we're land by hand. We don't have a tractor. Uh, we do everything with a broad fork and, and some hose and a digging fork and hard rakes. Um, my husband does a lot of the, the real hard earth moving and I do a lot of the planting, transplanting, watering and weeding. And so we're on 10 acres, mostly wooded, two acres open, and we're doing a lot of agroforestry. Um, we're growing fruits, vegetables, flowers, and herbs, very um, uh, compact planting and maximizing bed per square feet and really just squeezing in anything that we possibly can. Um, we are in the process of transitioning out of vegetable farming uh, and into the more, um, you know, agroforestry and, and growing mm -hmm. medicinal herbs. Our bodies are are begging us to to do the switch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the agroforestry side of things. What what where are you focused there? Sure. So um, right now we have a little mushroom grove, and we just got um, to be a part of the botanical sanctuary network. So we're mm. a registered um, botanical sanctuary. So we're going to be integrating a lot of the at-risk plants like the cohosh and ginseng and golden seal. Um, but we're also um, going to be implementing more pawpaws and persimmons and understory trees, dogwoods and redbuds into um, our kind of restoring the woodland behind our house and just adding in a lot of at-risk and really um, making it viable for spring ephemerals and creating more cultivated ecologies throughout the, the woodland area where we are. But then also a lot of it is centered around education. So we'll be doing maple syruping workshops, which we have done in the past, but mm -hmm. um, not a lot at our property. We only have a few maples. Um, we'll be doing mushroom inoculation workshops, um, just a lot more um, farm dinners and uh, things that add value to the experience of agritourism. And so it's kind of, a, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now with the, what part of the state are you in in Illinois? We're in Western Illinois, uh, pretty close to St. Louis. Okay, all right, so right across the river there then. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So then you would pull, that would be your main, um, market people will be coming from St. Louis area. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then how do you incorporate um, the, um, so you've got the agroforestry growing on, you got the workshops. How do you market all of this together? <laughs> I'm still, I'm still figuring it out. So um, 
We used to run the Resilient Living Workshop Series, and that's just a mouthful. So we have recently rebranded to Flourish Folk School. And so hopefully that will be, um, you know, more encompassing of what we do. And so we're going to not only do the same workshops we have been doing on gardening, composting, mushroom inoculation, all of the the on the farm basics, but also um, bringing in experts in cob building and some, uh, you know, metalsmith um, folks and some uh, candle makers and just bringing in kind of the old traditional arts and things that you don't really see um, much of anymore. So we're hoping to, in terms of uh, it's definitely not taught in schools or it's <laughs> it's kind of a lost arts thing things that are lost arts. We want to bring more of that to, to the farm, to this area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So a general aspect of being more resilient and just, um, you know, when, and I think the last two years we learned there's so many supply chain issues and not being able to get things. And so if you didn't know how to do those things yourselves, you were a lot safer and uh, be able to have more. Right. So one of the things we'd love to do is have like a survival skills day where we teach people how to forge their own knife and just with a fire, just with a steel blade and or steel piece of um, something that you can find, you know, like a steel nail or something and, and forge your own knife using just mm -hmm. a fire pit and a hammer. And uh, so just simple survival skills as well. I think that that's so important. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Now talk a little bit about the herbalism side. Is that something where you're doing active um, education on what folks can do with herbs? Do you sell any herbs yet? Or um, is that something that you're moving into? Yeah. So um, in 2019, um, my friend Alex and I co-founded the Tendon Flourish School of Botanicals. So we've, okay. launched, we've had um, at least a dozen programs so far uh, teaching people how to grow medicinal herbs. We have a homegrown apothecary program, as well as a um, herbal foundations program. And both of those programs are very much geared toward stocking your own home apothecary, uh, learning the basics of herbalism, the introduction to the herbal actions. And so our students uh, leave the program with a better understanding of herbalism and the contraindications associated with specific herbs and just getting to know each herb, um, especially seeing it grow here on the farm. They get a lot uh -huh. of cuttings and plants and uh, fresh herbs and dried herbs, and they're able to make at least a dozen uh, herbal preparations throughout the program. Uh, so that's been really amazing. And we absolutely love hosting folks out here to teach them about herbalism. So that's been probably the most um, profound part of, of this last several years is seeing that connection between plants and people. And I mean, you, you know, as an educator, that it's uh -huh. such a beauty to watch people uh, form deeper connections to farming or plants or the natural world. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Now you used a word in there and I don't know if I can redo it like re, um, right at the beginning reactions or something like that it wasn't reactions. It was another word. Contraindications. Yes. Thank you. So <laughs> share a little bit more about that. And it's not a word that's common in the English language. <laughs> sure. So a contraindication in terms of using an herb 
Um, sometimes people are allergic to the Asteraceae family, like sunflower family, which has dandelions, echinacea. So if you know, if someone was allergic to that plant family, it would be contraindicated for them to take that herb as a healing remedy. Or if someone was on blood thinners, it would be contraindicated to take specific herbs um, for specific pharmaceuticals. So we go through a kind of a, a basic rundown of herbs and the interactions with medicine. That's more of a pharmacology or a naturopathic doctor um, realm, but we touch the basics of it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's important for folks to know that, you know, you just can't take all the herbs and um, that they're all going to help you. Um, it's something that you need to do slowly, just like you would anything that's going to change your body of any, any way. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what has been the, some of the surprises that have come along the way of running this herbal school? Sure. Um, actually, it's just been wonderful. Yeah, uh, I, I absolutely love herbal education and just witnessing people's reactions when they learn about specific herbs. Uh, there's really been only beautiful surprises. <laughs> okay. Um, talk a little bit about the different books you've written. <clears throat> sure. Um, the first one was Grow, Create, Inspire, and it's kind of more of a, <laughs> an anecdotal uh, book of, of falling in love with farming and how you're constantly inspired um, once you start the process of farming and growing and, you know, creating uh, value-added products and different herbal remedies from everything that you grow and then inspiring. The, the inspiration is cyclical. So once you start and you share these things, whether it be through social media or just word of mouth, uh, people get inspired and they really want to grow their own um, food and medicine in their own backyards. And so that one, and then there's Worms at Work, which is all about vermicomposting and composting. And then your edible yard kind of delves into edible landscaping uh, and gives a lot of um, really amazing plants to work with, not only in edible landscaping, but transforming your yard into an edible oasis. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about the Worms book. What is What came out of, what caused you to write that book? Um, I was giving a presentation at the Mother Earth News Fair, and I was uh, approached by the publisher. So that, that, and they're like, "Would you like to write a book about this?" And I said, "Yes." So <laughs> that's kind of where it came from. But we had been running multiple vermicompost bins at La Vista at mm -hmm. the farm. We we ran a CSA for seven years here in Godfrey, and it was a 250 member CSA, and it was very wonderful. And we had most of the members who were the Alton Godfrey pickup location, they would drop off their compost into our vermicompost bins. So we had a very thriving vermicompost situation going on. So that kind of had been, you know, just we had a lot of photos and, and documentation of the different bins that we were running. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the, the book is kind of a, a discussion of all that, how you made that work. And I think the especially cool thing is having the members bring their, their compost and, and then how you worked with that. Yes. And the land was on 280 acres. So we had access to a lot of fallen pine needles and fallen leaves and grass clippings. They mowed a lot of the areas. So we would just go around and collect a lot of the greens and browns and add them to the, the multiple bins. Uh -huh, uh -huh, and windrows. We had several windrows going as well. 
Mm. So talk a little bit about um, kind of like your, the, the, how you and your husband split tasks. I know you said you do more of the, the brunt work, the grunt work out there, you know, turning the beds and stuff. You do more of the, the weeding, that sort of thing. Um, what other areas are, do you like focus on? And he does, he does specific areas. Sure. So uh, the way it's, it's worked is that he actually works off the farm as well. He works full-time for Rustic Roots Sanctuary in Spanish Lake, and it's okay. a nonprofit farm. So he's their um, farm manager. Uh, so he works three long days a week and then is home four days a week. And so he's able to get a lot done on the yeah. days that he's home. And we try to take a little bit of time to rest and recuperate. We're learning. Uh, it's taken us 10 plus years to learn that rest is so important. <laughs> yeah. And sleep as well. But so he he does a lot of the bed work. Um, he does a lot of the, um, you know, clearing of invasive species. We have four goats that are also, they're castrated males, so they help with the land clearing. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a lot of the goat fencing, and uh, and then I do the marketing and the website and the design and um, planting, harvesting, weeding, watering. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was doing the farmer's market also. He He's not really a fan of doing the farmer's market, so I was doing the Tower Grove farmer's market every Saturday as well. Gotcha. What would you say is the most rewarding part of what you do? Um, honestly, it's building a legacy for our children. Um, you know, for the longest time, we didn't own our farm. We were renting. And this past year, we got an FSA loan and we're able to actually um, get it under our names. So that feels amazing to be able to finally, after all of these, this decade plus of hard work that we're able to start building for our children's future and setting aside little tiny, you know, acorns here and there so that they can have a a better life. Yeah. Now talk a little bit about the kids. Um, I know that they're really involved in the farm. How do you make sure to intentionally include them while also making them not feel like it's drudgery? (laughs) Uh, The question of the day, huh? (laughs) Um, Iris, my daughter, she's 11 and she can name all of the medicinal herbs we grow here. She can name all of the wild edibles. And I've been really working with her on learning these. Uh, Kyan is a very strong, hard worker. Kyan is my son. He's 17. But he also uh, has a full-time, uh, he works full-time in a program called Youth Build. So he's learning carpentry while getting his GED. Okay. So so his, his time is a little more... Um, limited. So, but when I do need help, he's, he's great at, you know, harvesting or carrying heavy stuff and helping load. He comes to the farmer's market with me and really helps set up and they know the farmer's market set up. They could probably do it without me. It's really nice to, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so have they had specific like micro enterprises that they've wanted to focus on? And have you done any of that with them? Yeah, uh, Kyan is an artist. And so he does a lot of he's done a couple of murals by himself. He does art prints. Uh, He does a lot of Marvel fan art. So definitely not connected to the farming world. But I I like to encourage them to really uh, be autonomous in their passions and their creativity and what drives them as as humans. It's important to 
let them have their choices too, but he makes incredible art. And uh, so he hasn't really wanted any part of the farm business uh, mm. aspect, but he's really good at, at creating. He did some of the illustrations for the Worms at Work book. So that was really sweet. Oh, and uh, then Iris, um, she is now developing her own line of body care products. So like lotions and salves and face serums and perfumes, all made with natural ingredients, of course. And uh, she makes chapsticks and she has her own little logo on her her brand. So that, that's been really neat to help her develop that. And she's only 11. So she, she's very savvy. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now with the, the folk school, you have a number of different classes. I mean, I think you've got what day 10 listed here, different ones, which one seems to be the most popular for you? Um, the herbal medicine, anything that we do with herbal medicine, uh, I think because I've established myself as an herbalist in the community um, and, you know, have been teaching herbalism classes around this area for so long that um, that one is the one that I enjoy doing most. And that seems to be the most popular when we have done a full day intensive of transforming your yard into an edible oasis. That one has been very successful as well. Um, We're trying to, figure out ways to um, market them to where it's, it just seems fun and, and like you're spending a day on the farm and, you know, getting uh, an experience out of it as mm. well. So we're, we're still trying to figure out the rest of them. We've had some success with the gardening ones, especially if it's a full day workshop and lunch is included. So yeah. Um, yeah. People love to eat. And then the other ones, I do a lot of um, classes at libraries. So Mm -hmm. those have always been successful. I usually get about 40 people in the audience when I do any of those at the local libraries and I'll travel like up to an hour and a half away to do workshops at local libraries. Mm. And so is that something where you co-promote with them as they kind of push it to their people and you do it as well? Yeah, it's, it's mainly them. Um, and they, they draw a big crowd with a lot of Every library workshop that I've done has been a huge success. So that's that's an, another one. And then I teach at the Mother Earth News Fairs, which has been really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with the libraries, because that's definitely something that I haven't um, thought a lot about. Is that something where you charge a per person or is it you charge the library and they just rel- market it as free because they're just trying to do a public service? I'm pretty sure they do it for free and then they just pay me a small stipend. So it's, it's not very lucrative, but it helps to yeah. get my name out there a little bit more with um, then people who come to the library classes often will buy a book or, you know, um, go onto our website and purchase some things, um, Yeah, but also so, give great feedback too. So it, it helps. Yeah. It's, it's good for basically market research and, and marketing as well, just to build your the people of, who know you. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then with with Mother of News, is that something where you teach something very specific there or is it more up to like what they're looking for? Um, I've done a number of programs. So, and most of them are related to the books that I've written because mm. they sell my books at the um, bookstore there. So when I, um, when the book Your Edible Yard came out, I did the talk called Your Edible Yard and then had a book signing after and then same with the worms at work. 
And then I also do a homegrown apothecary program at the Mother Earth News Fairs. So that's been wonderful. I absolutely love uh, working with Mother Earth News. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Joining me today is Stan from Steward, a mission-driven financial partner for farms across the U.S. Dan, talk to us a little bit about regenerative food value chain. How do you connect all the pieces? When I'm thinking value chain, it's all the steps that it takes from producing to processing to end sales and the end outlet. And that's how people get connected to regional food systems. Some come as consumers through the farmer's market and restaurant and then down to the farm. And then farmers see it the other way is they're trying to get their product to market and they need to get it through processing and find an outlet for it. So when, when we're trying to restore ecosystems at a watershed level, you really need to build all the mechanisms of that regional food system to link. Um, and, that, and that's that's where we're putting a lot of resources, which is not just financing producers, that's where we began funding producers, helping them grow, but then also funding processing infrastructure, funding uh, the last sale kind of end sales outlets and realizing that you have to connect all the dots, they all have to be in sync, they all have to be growing together to be successful. And you can only have a truly dynamic, regional, sustainable food system with all of them in sync. Mm. And talk to us a little bit about, you are actually working with a restaurant now to kind of fund some of their, their uh, expansions and changes. Talk to us a little bit about why that restaurant's kind of, you know, near to your heart and what you're doing with them. So we, we just, that was the most recent project we funded, a $200,000 loan to a restaurant called Woodbury Kitchen. The chef of Woodbury Kitchen, Spike Jurdy, he's a James Beard Award winner in Baltimore. He was the person who originally introduced me to regional cuisine in Chesapeake Bay, where I was from, connected me with producers he was supporting. And it was in those conversations with producers about their lack of access to capital that the idea for Stewart came. And so the past decade I've spent building the platform, building Stewart business, bringing farmers online, bringing the funding online. And as we've slowly gone from producers to processing, now the sales outlets, we're coming back to fund the reopening of his business, which is a tavern and restaurant and event space as well, and showing that you can have all of these elements connected in people's minds that if you're funding all of them together, you're really supporting the entire food system. And Woodbury Kitchen in particular has had $20 million of purchases direct from farmers since opening 15 years ago. And that's real money move, moving through the economy. That's real sales for farmers. Mm -hmm. That makes a big difference. And what I'm excited about at Steward is the, the flexibility that we have to go across all the segments that are needed in a food system and then tell our audience of funders and explain to people why they're all important and how to think of them as one piece of a much broader food system. Absolutely. If you're looking for a non-traditional mission-driven financial partner who understands the business of regenerative agriculture, reach out to gosteward.com today. What would you say for someone who's looking to get into herbalism? What is the, you know, what kind of advice would you have for them? Sure. Um, I would say just get some um, basic books on herbalism. Uh, Rosemary Gladstar has amazing books out on herbalism. Um, there's many herbal training programs that are available now. I would just look at the reviews on them. I'm going to launch an online um, herbal education program here in the next year. And so hopefully, um, you know, I can just uh, keep keep my passions uh, thriving with, with uh, all of the herbalism content mm -hmm. that I'm creating. So. 
Mm -hmm. For maybe for those who want to, let's say they already growing herbs, but they want to start, you know, formulating things. What are things they need to stay aware of? Sure. Um, so there's a number of amazing medicinal herbs that you can grow in a number of different, um, you know, zones or regions. And so I'd, I'd say start with, you know, maybe 10 medicinal herbs that you're curious about and just get a few plants of each or start them from seed. Uh, some of my favorites are chamomile, calendula, yarrow, mullein, lavender, passionflower. Um, I really enjoy the Missouri natives as well. So we're, we're in Illinois, but a lot of the, um, we're neighboring Missouri. So I, I go for a lot of the Missouri natives, um, echinacea and monarda fistulosa, like mm -hmm. the bee balm, really amazing. Goldenrod, there's just so many phenomenal medicinal plants. Now, something about echinacea, are all the different echinaceas, um, are they all uh, medicinal or are some of the decorative ones not as powerful? So I would not, uh, I always use true natives and true okay. medicinals. So for instance, echinacea purpurea is um, one of the true medicinals. Um, you might be able to get like an orange coneflower or a hot pink coneflower that's a cultivar from the garden store, but that's not going to be the same medicine as Echinacea purpurea or Angustifolia. So we, um, I mentioned earlier that we are a part of the Botanical Sanctuary Network. Mm -hmm. So we just um, established as a botanical sanctuary, meaning that we're going to be growing and we have been growing a lot of at-risk plants. So Echinacea angustifolia is actually an at-risk plant um, on the United Plant Savers website. You can read more about that, but it's an at-risk plant, meaning that it's been over-harvested and not um, replenished. And so um, I, I like to encourage people to create their own cultivated ecologies um, and really um, put a focus on things that are at risk, like Echinacea angustifolia. Purpurea is, uh, both of them are whole plant medicines. So you can tincture the whole plant or make a uh -huh. tea from the whole plant. The angustifolia has the thick fleshy roots, whereas the purpurea has spindly, uh, thin hair-like roots. Some of them will be a little bit thicker, but I like to encourage people to grow both and grow many and multiples if you plan to harvest Root medicine, I would say at least grow 12 so that you can harvest one and keep the rest for wildlife and just to establish the species more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are there difference in the, uh, the healing properties of the two? I use them interchangeably. Um, the Echinacea angustifolia is mainly grown for its roots, the thick fleshy roots, but both of them you can make tea from or tincture. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so the, uh, the purple, uh, is a, that's, that's more of just for the tops. Yeah. Uh, but you can use, I just dug, um, lots of purpurea. Um, I, I grow about 150 echinacea purpurea. So I grew up or I dug about 10 this year for the roots and just dried them to have their root medicine. And they, some of them had pretty decent sized roots, but they're mainly hair like roots. Yeah. 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 That makes a big difference if you're trying to make tinctures and all that, just the volume of root mass. Yes. Yeah. Now, one of the things I would think about it for folks that are doing this is, uh, do you ever caution folks to be careful if they're doing their backyard, depending on what the history of the yard might be, because they're basically pulling um, nutrients into those plants, which then they're going to be taking? 
Yes. Um, so of course, if you're in a city or urban uh, area, I would definitely recommend getting a heavy metals soils test or soil test to see if there's any toxins or lead or, or anything like that in the yard. But if you are um, have been in production of, of really growing healthy soils for the last several you know, years and you have really rich, healthy soils, um, you can, you know, put a lot of comfrey in your yard so that you can do the chop and drop method where you're mm -hmm. building. If you pull out anything that has a lot of, that takes a lot of nutrients out of the soil, you could just replenish it right away with some comfrey or maybe some biochar or just keep feeding your soil. Mm -hmm. And there yeah. are actually um, plants that you can grow. For instance, sunflowers. I've read some studies where they actually um, help repair the soil and uh, remove heavy metals and toxins. Uh, and there's also work being done with mycoremediation and bioremediation where you can actually use plant matter and mushroom matter to um, fix the soils, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite herb? Oh, <laughs> um, I'm really in love with passion flower. <laughs> okay. And okay. St. John's Ward, I would say. All right. And what is your favorite way to use passion flower? Uh, passion flower tea for the most part, okay. or you can do a tincture, but the tea is just a gentle nerving. It helps with stress relief and anxiety and it helps you fall asleep much easier. Mm, so take it before bed. Yes. Okay. Very cool. All right. One final question for you, because I am diving into the whole herbalism world myself. Um, I feel like a complete newbie because I am. Um, for extraction, do you have a specific oil that you like better? Like I know olive oil, been using that, but then I found out that olive oil is not super great for skin. Yeah, I use uh, sunflower oil and grapeseed oil. Okay, so you do like sunflower because that's what I was going to go to because I think I can try to find some like regionally produced at least. Yes, um, and and the grapeseed oil is really good and it's hydrating. Um, okay. I have in the past used olive oils and they seem to be fine. I've never had anyone tell me that they've broken out or anything yeah. like that. So I always include a little bit of olive oil in my preparations as well, but um, sunflower and grapeseed oil. Jojoba okay. is the best, but it's very expensive. So yes, I have seen that. <laughs> so, but grapeseed oil is yeah. actually um, much cheaper than olive oil and it's really wonderful for the skin. Okay. I'll check that out too. Yeah. One of the things we're focusing on is trying to produce um, things that are as regionally sourced as possible. So, you know, obviously olive oil is either California or Italy, well, as let's say a, a um, sunflower oil could actually be grown in the next town over because you can grow sunflowers really near us. Although then having to get that, you know, extracted and all of that is kind of a, a small nightmare because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> we've just lost that capacity in the U S well, I think probably there's just been so much consolidation. Um, yeah. I know there is a, a sunflower oil producer with a giant seed press or seed oil press and, um, or press for seeds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause Bull Rush restaurant uses locally or regionally sourced uh, sunflower oil. So I know there's one. Okay. What's the name of that Midwest. restaurant? Bull Rush, B-U-L-R-U-S-H. It's Ozark Cuisine. So they focus on a very small radius of, of what they yes. source. We sell to them a lot of wild foraged items. and. Um, okay. Also okay. So I might be able to reach out to them and ask them for their sunflower oil source. Yes. Okay. I will do that. Yeah. I'm just, um, 
yeah, we're doing fire ciders now and uh, we're producing about 95% of what's in the bottle. Wonderful. Yeah. Everything from the horseradish to obviously the ginger and the turmeric and the garlic and the onions and the, um, all the herbs, um, we're struggling with the peppercorns and the lemons. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is the trifoliate orange that grows I know. Out. Yes. I've been looking into that. Um, I am going to go visit in two weeks a grower in, I think he's in Tennessee who's growing it um, to learn more about it. Um, but yeah, that's, and then if maybe we just have to grow, put one of those, you know, underground greenhouses in to grow regular limes or lemons. There you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah. The peppercorns, I think that's always going to be a hard nut to crack. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, wonderful. Right, well, that's amazing. And you make your apple cider vinegar too? Well, we don't make it yet. Um, we are sourcing it from a farm. The next year we'll be sourcing from a farm about an hour away. Um, unfortunately, they're not certified organic. They will be, I mean, super low spray. He tries his hardest to do as low spray as possible. In Ohio, it's very hard to do no spray apples. Um, okay. But we, there is an opportunity maybe in two years of us being able to buy a local orchard. And wow. so if that happens, then yes, we would be doing our own apple cider vinegar as well. That's so, amazing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are going to be like, why would you take perfectly good apples and turn them into vinegar? And I'm like, well, because I've got fire cider <laughs> and yeah. that's way more profitable. <laughs> so. And do you sell that at the farmer's market or online? Yeah. So we're, we just started a new site called Farmstead Wellness. And uh, we're, we're, we actually just launched an ambassador program too for that because our, so our biggest growth, I think, is going to be online. Um, my wife really wants to offer a full range of wellness things on there. So like, you know, she uses activated charcoal for our kids and she uses, you know, these different things. Um, it's very specific vitamin C. So she wants to offer those things because, again, a lot of people come on and they're looking for a quality of supplement. And you can, you know, you have to source it from like all different spots. So she wants to create one central place that they can get like, you know, a monthly delivery if they want or something like that. Oh, that's wonderful. So congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. I can't make fire cider fast enough. It always sells out at the farmer's market. So it's really, I love doing it. Yeah. Yeah. We are hopefully brewing about 200 gallons this year. And then next year we'll scale significantly more after we make sure that the funnel's proven. And then we start going after like the bigger influencers, I think is the next step. So I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I really enjoy growing that. And the beauty of those crops is that it's, it's way better of a lifestyle than growing greens and harvesting greens and selling spinach every single week. Yes. Uh, so, so are you kind of transitioning out of vegetable farming too? I mean, if I could find a good farm manager that could run that side of the farm and least break even, we would be all for that. Just say, all right, you have, you know, this amount of your acreage and, uh, you know, we just want you to produce, we have the sales outlets. I mean, we have a CSA and we have a on-farm store so we can sell the product. It's just, I can't be spending my time supervising it. So, um, yeah, I mean, like we do a whole greenhouse of 5,400 square feet of tomatoes, you know, that's a full-time job just to keep yeah. those all pruned and, and trellis and all of that. So I'd love to cut that back 50% or 80% and just focus on, you know, these, these other crops. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'd like to want, I wonder, you know, I think it was fire Shire fire cider. That was the company that got in a lot of trouble. They sued everyone for the fire cider name. Is that the company? Yeah. That did? Shire city herbals. Yeah. Yes. I wonder what scale they were at. I'm trying to figure out what scale they were at. I'm just trying to understand the marketplace, like how much, 
what is my potential? Is this like a $1 million business, $20 million business that I could eventually get to with this? Um, I mean, I think, you know, our goal is that it's regional so that we would only be selling, you know, Ohio and like the four or five states around us. But I think once we go with some influences and stuff, it's going to go national. We, there's no way that we can, you know, prevent that. Although I would love to build a business model where you have regional fire starter producers that you partner with. Um, oh, yeah. So someone up to the Pacific Northwest, so they could use, you know, local honeys from up there and some of the, because I really feel that crop grown in your local area is going to be more, um, just more suited and the right nutrients for what you and your area need. Uh, totally. hundred percent. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, that's where we're, that's our vision. It's, it's obviously at a very infinite stage right now, but, um, <laughs> we are selling a tremendous amount of fire cider. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I, I work with, uh, Terry at River Hills Harvest, and we are also trying to, um, come up with a fire cider, elderberry fire cider, um, because he has a very successful online store and, you know, platform. So, um, I, I developed some teas, herbal teas with him and salves and different things. And we're going to just keep the ball rolling with that. Ah, Ah, uh, very cool. Hey, on that, I saw that sad you guys did. Is that, oh, so that's elderberry, just elderberry flowers, or do you have other parts of the elder in there too? Do you have actual elderberries in there? No elderberries. We do an elder, okay. <laughs> uh, Heather really, she's the designer. She really likes the look of the elderberries on the labels. Yes. It's um, adorable no label. It's, it's very, yeah, it's very confusing. I, I was like, well, why don't we draw some elderflowers and put it on there? She's like, no, people really have been liking this. So I'm like, okay, but it's very confusing because there's yeah. no elderberries in it. It's just elderflowers and a lot gotcha. of other elder, elderflowers and elder elderberry leaves and okay. a, um, a bunch of herbs that I grow here at my farm. Oh, very cool. Now, I think you also put like an ancient, um, the ancient sap in there or, or pine resin. Yes. Uh, Terry has a friend who does ancient tree resins and it's, it's a sustainable process. He just harvests a little bit of the tree resin and it keeps producing more and more. So it's not like a. Gotcha. Okay. So they like, okay. I, I think I've read about how they actually harvest that. They're like, do they drill it? Is that how they do? And they just drill a little bit. And then like, I forget how they do that. I'm not sure actually. I, I haven't looked into it, but he was adamant about putting that in the salve. So I just went with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently super good for the skin and is antiviral, antibacterial, antioxidant, has many medicinal properties to it. Very cool. All right. Well, Crystal, I will let you go. And uh, again, appreciate you for coming on. All right. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything. All right. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Stewart is transforming agriculture by equipping regenerative farms and food systems with the capital they need to grow. As a mission-driven financial partner, Stewart works closely with agriculture businesses to scale their operations, improve the health of their lands and waters, and boister farm-to-regional food systems. To date, Stewart has provided over $15 million in business loans to fund 75 unique projects, backed by more than 1,500 participating lenders. Stewart is proud to be a certified B Corp., Seek financing or support a loan campaign at GoSteward.com. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's ThrivingFarmerPodcast.com.